Good afternoon, my name is Greg Lois. If you're here today, it's you're here to learn today about temporary disability benefits. Uh, at the end of this webinar, we're hoping you'll be able to answer questions you get from your clients, your locations, your insurance. Questions like, do I have to pay temporary disability benefits? How much do I have to pay? And Craig, how do I stop paying? I'm joined today with uh, my associate, Mike Gervolino, the very tall man standing to my right, your left, and my partner, Joe Jones, uh, also to my right, your left. Uh, this is part of our overall uh, training series that we do here. Uh, the training series basically follows the outline of our workers' compensation handbook for New Jersey adjusters right. and carriers. Uh, a handbook's one of many things that we do to help educate the community about issues in workers' compensation. We also uh, have a lot of articles on our website, uh, over a 1,000 articles going back 10 years. Uh, those are written by associates and partners. We have a newsletter that we'd welcome you to subscribe to, and, of course, we do this monthly webinar series. Uh, today we're here to talk about New Jersey, but we also have a New York webinar series. Mm -hmm. That's always the third Monday of the month. Today's the fourth Monday of the month, and, of course, we're talking about New Jersey. All right, this is totally live, as you can tell. We might have a couple fumbles here and there. You know, I'll drop the microphone at times, uh, but this is absolutely live. Please feel free to ask us questions. Please don't wait until the end. I think we've seen some weeks where we do our webinar, and at the end, there's no questions. And we it's like a scrambling. Yeah, and, and I think it's because people are starting to type them in right when we get to that final screen that says, hey, this is live. Ask us your questions. Uh, please don't wait until the last screen to ask questions. Please do it as, you, as we go. I can see the questions pop up here on the computer monitor as I go. And uh, we'll hold the questions until the end, but please ask them because it makes this a lot more fun. And you're not limited to this, this topic. You can ask us questions about anything on New Jersey workers' compensation law. I mean, this is a chance to get free advice from three different attorneys at the same time. So awesome. And, All if, right. for any, and if for any reason we don't get to your questions, we can, of course, answer those by email as yep, well. Absolutely. We'll try. All right. Uh, Mike, take it away. Let's sure. Start. Let's get started. So just as a reminder, there are four benefits in workers' compensation in New Jersey. There are medical benefits, temporary disability benefits, permanency benefits, and death benefits. Today, we'll be specifically discussing temporary disability benefits. But as you can see from the slide, permanency benefits will be discussed in November of 2016, very soon. So temporary disability benefits. Generally, temporary disability benefits are given to a petitioner when he misses time from work. Um, the way you calculate this is 70% of the average weekly wage. Um, the average weekly wage is subject to maximum and minimums, though, as provided by under Section 12 of the Workers' Compensation Act. This is all this information, the max and the minimum, is provided in the state of New Jersey Workers' Compensation website. As you can see, for 2017, the number is already out. It's $896 for the maximum and $239 for the minimum. And as the chart indicates, the number typically rises every year. Yeah, we had that one hiccup in 2010 when it actually yeah. went down year over year due yeah, to the recession. Due to the recession. That's right. uh, but every year, other year, it's gone up every year. Uh, okay, let's talk about that uh, benefit. So it's 70% of the average weekly wage subject to that maximum and at minimum. Um, how is the actual weekly wage calculated? Well, it's calculated based on actual wages. Uh, there are many states that have different formulas that they use based on the wage amount, not New Jersey. New Jersey, it's just actual wages. The way we figure that out were the actual wages of the petitioner, the previous 26 weeks to when the accident happened. Uh, it is advisable that you not include in that the week that he actually got hurt because generally that's not a full week. Yeah, Usually midweek gets yeah, hurt and sure. it's not going to be a full paycheck. So it's 26 weeks prior to the accident. Uh, you give us those figures. We can calculate it for you if you can't do it yourself and you get the average weekly wage. Now, it should be noted here, there are a couple different scenarios that can come up. Uh, for example, what if 
the petitioner hasn't worked for me for 26 weeks. Maybe sure, he yeah. only has three weeks and then he gets in an accident. Just give us the three weeks. We will use that three weeks and, and create the average from there. Uh, if you have more information than the 26 weeks, you could give us that also. You could give us a year's worth of information and we'll sort of average that out. But the standard, I think, is the 26 weeks. Uh, certainly the courts will sort of look to that uh, to see what's going on. Uh, another sort of caution thing here is sometimes you the 26 weeks prior to, there's a weird aberration in the in the income. Maybe uh, the guy was making 750 a week, and then you see a week where he only made 250. A lot of times when you're discussing that issue with the judges, they'll pull that weird. Yeah, they'll pull out of, an outlier week. Yeah, they'll just take it out because they 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 know something went on there. Maybe the guy was sick for a couple of days or mm-hmm. something, and they just take it out of there, and then they would do essentially a 25 week calculation. So. But that's essentially what we're looking at. Yeah, and it's, it's a really fair state, I think, for petitioners because we are trying to look at the biggest period we have. We have 52 weeks of wages. We'll look at it. We have 26. Right. That's generally the standard. Um, and generally, they will throw out the zero weeks. If there's a zero week here and there, something mm-hmm. weird happened, the person was out. Okay. They'll, they'll chuck it out. I think that's pretty fair to the petitioner overall. We get to a pretty uh, approximate right. average weekly wage. Right, I agree. Uh, the last little part of this slide says don't reconstruct on temp. What does that mean? Well, you don't want to create situations or, or sort of assume situations. So, for example, if uh, maybe someone was to receive a raise after the accident, maybe in August they were going to get a raise, they have the accident in July, you're not going to use that soon-to-be number as their wages. Yeah. You use actual wages that happened. There's no reconstruction. There's no sort of trying to go back and right. figure so out. Right, that, so that came from actually a question that I got recently from a client who said, hey, this person, had, they've been making, let's say, $1,000 a week, but Greg, they were about to get a big raise right after this loss. Should I use the, the new money that they were going to get? Like, no, we use the actual right. weekly wage. Yeah. And then reconstructing temp, uh, what we mean by that when we talk as well is part-time workers. So if someone works 20 hours a week, yeah, we don't exactly. make up a 40-hour work week right. and then base right. a fake average weekly wage. So we're going to use their actual wages, which could be quite low. But then again, they get the benefit of that minimum. Right. So that comes out to help them out. Uh, all right, what's the waiting period? Oh, well, in New Jersey, it's seven days. And if you are out of work for that seven-day time period but less than eight, you do not get temporary disability benefits. You have to actually be out of work for that eighth day to receive temporary disability benefits, and then you will receive retroactively that seven days that you missed once you've earned that eighth day off. So you have to get to the eighth day, and then you get the week in Mm -hmm. retro. Mm -hmm. Um, That seven days does not have to be consecutive. A lot of people think, well, if if it's four days here, two days there, three days there, does that count? Yes. As long as it exceeds eight days, even though it's not consecutive, it counts for temporary disability benefits. Okay. Well, let's talk about the thing I care about the most. How do we end these benefits? Well, there's a few ways to end them. Um, the main way would be for the petitioner to reach MMI, or maximum medical improvement. This essentially means that the petitioner can no longer will no longer receive treatment that is beneficial towards his illness or injury. In other words, he's not going to receive anything that's going to help him end the injury. And where do Curative. we find that? Curative. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Well, we can talk about that first, I guess. Curative versus palliative. Well, yeah, there's two different ways. There's two different treatment uh, petitioner can receive curative versus palliative. Palliative is just pain management, where curative is they're actually curing the petitioner's illness or injury. Right. And where do we find, where do we often find the MMI determination? Well, we find it mostly in the medical records. So okay. when the physician, the petitioner's physician will put it in the medical records, the petitioner, he will actually write down, literally, he has reached MMI. Right. And some doctors even have a separate section. They'll, they'll check in the a, box. Is yep. this person MMI? Yeah. Yes or no. And they'll circle or check the appropriate box. So yeah. it should be pretty clear that when, when MMI has been reached. It should be pretty obvious, yeah. yeah. So the next way is if the petitioner refuses light work duty. Um, this occurs when the doctor, when the petitioner's doctor will say he can go return to light work, uh, which means that he can't return to full work, but he can turn to like partial 
partial work. Like with restrictions of some kind, maybe weight and restrictions. or. And right. the petitioner refuses to go back to work. If he refuses, then his temporary disability benefits stop altogether. Okay. So the third way is if his benefits just run up. He only has 400 weeks of temporary disability benefits. Once those 400 weeks are over, he can no longer receive temporary disability benefits. 400 weeks in temporary seem a little... Well, it's almost, it's almost eight <laughs> years, opposite. so it's not... It's a big number. Yeah. But that's the third way of ending it. Okay. Um, let's talk about the light-duty work. Uh, it's such a huge way we can control costs and workers' compensation in New Jersey. If the physician is giving them work restrictions, and typically it's, okay, they can only work 20 hours a week, or they can only lift, you know, 80 pounds or 75 pounds, or they're given some kind of specific restriction, mm-hmm. uh, and our employer can offer them light-duty work, they don't, they have to take it. Uh, under, right. the, under the law, they must take it. Yeah. Uh, we see a lot of fights about that. Uh, as well. Um, and in in that case, uh, we are uh, able to stop paying temporary disability benefits. Hey, we offered them a light duty position. They just refused to take it, Judge. I mean, and, and generally speaking, we should prevail in those types of disputes. Uh, in our book, in the handbook, there are pages and pages of model letters uh, because when we're making a light duty work offer, it should be documented. Uh, obviously, that light duty uh, offer letter is going to be tailored to whatever the physician's restrictions were. Right. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. quite specific. Here's the day you're going to start in your light duty position. Here's what you're going to be doing. We think it meets all of the restrictions that your physician has put on you. Uh, we expect you to return to work on this specific date. Yeah. And we tell our clients to document these files because, you know, we had so many situations. I've seen it so many times where the petitioner comes back to work, they work a couple hours, and they go, this is too hard for me, right? I'm going back out on temp. And they think they, they can do that. Mm-hmm. No, if the, if the position meets your physician's restrictions, you've got to do it. Um, but this is a, a big bone of contention, especially in these uh, some claimants or petitioners who are just motivated not to return to work yeah. under any circumstances. Right. Um, the other thing I'd like to talk about just briefly is that if they come back to work, and they violate a work rule or insubordinate or they come back and they're intoxicated or they do something else that would get them fired from the job. And they yeah. knowingly do this. And some of these uh, petitioners will do things like this because they know if I sit home every day, I get 70 percent of my average weekly wage. If I come in here and do light duty work, I might get paid less. And by the way, I got to come to work every day. Uh, and there are cases on the in the books. And the appellate division uh, addressed the case of uh, Cunningham, which I, we've put up on the slide, where the petitioner was able to do light duty work but in other ways made himself unfit for the employment and failed the intoxication uh, test. He was insubordinate. He stopped showing up right. and they terminated him for that reason. Yeah. They said, you know, we shouldn't have to pay you benefits for your behavior. And, and they prevailed in that. Um, all right. So there's a downside to cutting off temporary disability benefits. Let's talk about that. Yeah. And this is a very hot topic in the courts right now. Um, as you know, in New Jersey, uh, the judges basically are pro petitioner. Mm-hmm. They look for ways to give the petitioner benefits or protect those benefits on behalf of the petitioner. This is one of the areas where they also uh, look at that as well. If you, you have to pay these benefits in a certain time frame, and the statutes provide for 30 days. Mm-hmm. So once you've made the determination someone's uh, eligible for temporary disability, you must pay within that 30 days. Yeah. If you wait until that 31st day, you will be found basically to have violated the statute, yeah. and there will be penalties. Yep. Those penalties can be up to 25%, and it could also include attorney's fees. Right. So you potentially are at risk for a lot of money here above and beyond the actual temporary disability. Right. Now, the 30 days, uh, it's a rebuttable presumption. So there are sometimes legitimate reasons why you don't get the payments out in 30 days. For example, if the petitioner's uh, address is sort of up in the air, you don't really know where he's living right now, maybe at a temporary residence or something like that, and you can't physically mail a check somewhere, uh, that could be one of the valid reasons. And we've had cases where we've dealt with the attorneys and sort of they told us forward the checks to us and we'll hold them until, you know, we get in touch with the petitioner and 
But all those ways, again, and if that's done amicably, you'll avoid those fees and those penalties. But there are ways to avoid it. But essentially, you got to get the payments out as soon as as soon as you know you're you're owing them, get them out there so you don't have this issue. Right. The positioners bar loves to file mid temp motions. They love to include this as an issue, and they're looking for fees. Yeah, and just one word about that: in the case of a denied case, you don't have to worry about the penalty. The case is formally denied. We're not concerned right. about it. Right. Um, but remember, that means then you've got 30 days to sort of decide if you're going to deny the case or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so this is meant to really address the circumstances where maybe a carrier doesn't have enough information. Maybe the employer doesn't have enough information about the loss. And they're saying, basically, you have 30 days to figure out what you're going to do. Right. After the 30th day, if temp isn't paid and this person's losing time from work, there's going to be this presumption that you paid late. Yeah. Um, now, generally speaking, I, we don't see this penalty very often, although no. it is raised uh, more often than not. Right. Uh, and then we put on the very on the bottom uh, that there are motions for med and temp which are filed, which are just seeking temp. Temp only, right? Right. And right. generally, those are defective unless it's temp going forward. So prior periods of temp, the person's been returned to work, and now their attorney's saying, hey, you owed us six weeks of temp, and you didn't pay it. That's per se, yeah. I think, per se defective, and generally those motions won't even get listed. Well, the, the petitioner's bar loves to file med temp motions. Yeah, they're they're just looking at those fee numbers. We had one recently they filed mm-hmm. just for medical bills that were outstanding, right. which is completely inappropriate. But he, you know, we filed the motion. We had to respond to it, and ultimately it was moved to just a regular motion calendar rather than a med temp motion. But they love them. They love right. to file them. So, and generally, uh, past periods of temp that are due that we determine are due and owing ultimately yeah. should get addressed on the order approving settlement right. or at the time of final settlement. Right. Um, I get this question all the time, which is, Greg, um, this guy's out on temp, but I'm going to shut down this location, or we had plans to do a restructuring or a layoff anyway. Um, can I terminate this person while they're out on temporary disability benefits? Uh, and they're collecting temporary disability, or they're temporarily totally disabled, mm-hmm. or they've got a partial disability, and I just can't accommodate them. Can we terminate them? And the answer is, yeah. If you have any good faith business reason to terminate an employee while they're collecting temporary disability, it's fine. You can do it. The statute allows for it. Uh, of course, you can't terminate them just because they filed a workers' comp claim, right? That's right. per yes. se discrimination. <laughs> yeah, that's bad. Don't do do not do this. Uh, but if there's any good faith business reason to terminate someone while they're out and collecting temporary disability benefits, that's fine. Mm-hmm. However, it doesn't mean you don't have the obligation to continue to pay temporary disability benefits. So from the perspective of the employer, it's generally not the best thing because mm-hmm. now they can't offer this person light duty employment. And remember, under our New Jersey statute and the case law, the petitioner has no obligation to look for light duty employment while they're temporarily partially disabled anywhere else. <laughs> so in that circumstance, you know, we generally counsel clients, yeah, you can terminate them. Uh, however, uh, it does hurt you because now you can't offer them uh, temporary disability benefits. Right. I'm sorry, you can't offer them light duty work. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. All right. Uh, last topic, and this is, the, this is a hot topic in New Jersey about whether or not there is partial temporary disability. I am very opinionated about this. So we'll let the neutral uh, party, <laughs> Joel, I'll, I'll try. I'll try. Yeah. Um, in, in legally, there's no authority. Uh, there's no statute. There's no case law that says partial temp is permissible. In practice, it's, it is. it's raised a lot. Uh, the, the petitioner's bar loves to talk about this, uh, a little bit more so in South Jersey than North Jersey. Uh, and the judges love to start talking about it as well. Because, again, sure. it's another way for them to help the petitioners. Yeah. And yeah. as respondents, that's our difficult job in all these courts is to, the judges want to help the petitioners. And we got to convince them. Right. So let's, let's talk about it in, because the only time this comes up is in the context of the person has returned to work in a light duty capacity yeah. and is making less money. So let's go through an example, Mike, if you don't right. mind. Yeah, sure. So a typical example would be the petitioner makes about $1,000 a week pre-injury, so before he gets hurt. So when he gets hurt, he has the, if he misses work, he can get uh, temporary disability benefits in the amount of, say, 
$700, which is 70% of the $1,000. Now, in the situation, if he, um, the doctor tells him he can return to light-duty work, say, hypothetically, he makes like $500 in light-duty. He can duty. only work half the week. He can something. only work half the week yeah. or something like that. So now, if he's working half, half the time, he's only making $500, where if he was out with temporary disability benefits, he'd be making $700. So that $200 between the $700 temporary disability benefits and the $500 light-duty would be the $200 for partial would be the partial number. So a lot of times respondents, um, well, not a lot of times, sometimes respondents, what they'll do is they'll provide the 200 extra dollars as an incentive for the petitioner just to work instead of completely taking right. off. And we have a, voluntarily, we've got voluntarily, clients. Right. We have clients who do this, yeah. And again, it's, as you said, it's to sort of get them back to work because yeah. that's the goal, I think, of everything is get the guy back to work so that we can eventually terminate all the benefits. Exactly. The, the, exactly. When we're conferencing a case with a judge, I mean, they'll frequently, the you know, petitioner's attorney say, judge, he came back to work. He's working like, dude, he only makes 500 bucks. And the judge will kind of look at us and go, yeah, you should. You should be paying this differential. Mm -hmm. And you can look at the judge and argue until you're blue in the face, hey, there's no statutory authority for this. And by the way, the only case on it is an unreported decision. It's not precedential. It doesn't yeah. have that sort of authoritative value. It doesn't matter. The practice in the division has now changed. And whereas 10 years ago, this would never have been done. Mm -hmm. uh, now it's it's seeping in and it's getting it, it's everywhere. And I think, you know, we see it especially down in the southern counties. Yeah. Uh, part. Yeah. And that's actually where this decision originated from, Judge Cox and Camp. Camden. Yeah. All right, so uh, that's the end of our prepared remarks. Let's take some questions. Uh, to do that, I need to come over to this computer over here, and I need to turn the screen off for just a second. Um, all right, let's see uh, if we've got any good questions. All right, we've got a question from Mary. She says, Greg, suppose you are unable to make a compensability decision within the 30 days. How should temporary total disability be handled? All right, I think... This is an interesting question because it's, it goes exactly back to that uh, slide we talked about under the presumption under Section 28.1, which is if you haven't issued benefits, uh, something's wrong. The person's been losing time, and we're going to presume that you're late paying the benefits. Right. All right, so practically speaking, what you do is likely deny the case so that you can say, I was denying the case. Yeah. Um, generally speaking, it's sometimes impossible to make that decision within 30 days, and we know why, right? So there's poor reporting, maybe from the location to the carrier. Right. Um, uh, that there even was a loss. Uh, maybe the person doesn't even turn in out of work notes. Uh, maybe they're an itinerant employee who's, you know, sort of in and out, and, and we didn't even notice they were gone. Sometimes even the insured doesn't cooperate fully. With right. Giving yes, information I mean, that's, that's, that's so on. typical yeah. that mm -hmm. the insured doesn't really think that the workers' cap carrier is their buddy, and they're not really sharing a lot of great information right. mm -hmm. with us. Uh, so there's a lot of reasons why, why I could see, especially in the carrier context, not so much in the self-insured employer range where they should kind of know what's going on at their locations. There should be a lot of communication there. But in the carrier context where these are just insureds and they don't have that relationship uh, with the third-party administrator or the carrier, uh, it could be difficult to make that decision in 30 days. Um, in that case, I think my advice would be likely to deny the case because, hey, you don't have enough valid medical information. You don't have enough information from the location to make a, a decision on compensability. I think that's your decision. I yeah, can't I find this compensable because I don't have enough information. And I think that's generally how we would and, sort and of And probably to add to that, to help us in the defense of the rebuttable presumption is to take as many notes as you have. Right. You know, paper up everything yeah. so you, you sort of document all those steps you took, which we could potentially use. Uh, as our argument of here's why we didn't provide those within 30 days. Right. And generally speaking, um, this penalty comes into play, in my experience, much more often during the pendency of a case that was accepted as compensable, and then there's a gap, maybe yeah. where temp wasn't paid for a right, bit, right. maybe mm -hmm. the person came back, then they went out again, and I, I could see that as the risk professional, as the adjusters dealing with the case, they fall behind 
what the person's actual work status could be from the medical notes, et cetera. So it's much more likely to occur during the pendency of the case rather than at the outset. In fact, right. I don't think I've ever really seen a late denial, 25% temp payment uh, penalty applied to a carrier. It's much more uh, that in the case of the case where we're admitting the case or it's a deemed compensable case and treatment's been going on and we've been uh, providing temporary disability, the person then starts losing time and we just, we fall behind it. Right. And, and then it's brought to the general attention sort of during the pendency of the case. So that's a much more common uh, circumstance. All right, back to the questions. And that's our only one today. All right, Mary, thank you for the question. If anyone has other questions, please feel free to email us with those questions, and we'll respond to you as quickly as we can. I guess that means we did a really good job. We right? did a great yeah. job because <laughs> nobody had any questions for us, and this is wonderful. Great. Uh, next month, we're going to be talking about motions for medical and temporary disability benefits. It'll be me, Joe, and Mike Tomasino uh, doing that presentation. I hope everyone joins us. Uh, of course, all of these presentations are archived, and they are on our website, so you can go back and watch them all uh, month over month. Have a great day, everybody, and thanks thank for you watching. for joining thanks, us. Guys.